everybody else around you cringe and God loves it, then praise the Lord. It says make a joyful noise, right? I want to encourage you in your worship, just go for it. It doesn't matter what everyone thinks. It's not like a worship team audition. Just praise God. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter even what you think. All that matters is you're saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, you're awesome. And you saved me. And you're worthy of a few cracked notes. We all have areas of struggle with access. It's a battle trying to separate your identity from those things. But those things can be living sacrifices to the Lord. But where do you start? Today, Pastor Daniel will talk about how to take those things into captivity and how we can give our whole selves as a sacrifice to God. That is the ultimate gift, and we can put ourselves in a position to be that offering to Him one step at a time. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message entitled, The Burnt Offering. Jesus is real. I do not want anyone to give with guilt. The question always is, is Lord, why are I, am I not generous by nature? That's the question. In my own giving as unto the Lord, I'm always like, Lord, I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to be able to give it joyfully and not begrudgingly. I want to say, Lord, I want to be generous, not I have to be generous because I'm the pastor. Because I'll be honest, there's a lot of times I've gone to give as unto the Lord and I'm just grumpy about it. I'm like, Lord, I could do a lot of things with this. And then the Lord reminds me, you need to give cheerfully. Why am I not like Jesus in such a way that I can be cheerful in my generosity? And then, of course, it comes back because God's not done with me yet. Now, I always tell people, you need to act your way into a new way of thinking. Don't try and think your way into a new way of acting. That's our cop-out, isn't it? We're always like, well, I'm not really feeling it, so I'm not going to give. Or I'm not really feeling it, so I'm not going to serve. No, you serve your way into a new way of thinking about yourself. You give your way into a new way of being cheerful of giving. Obedience always leads to a changed heart. If you wait, you know, it's kind of like, I'll quit smoking cigarettes, Lord, when you take the desire away. You guys ever try that? Yeah, some of you did. I'm like, don't raise your hand. It's okay. When you're addicted to nicotine, that desire is never going to go away. But you do the dirty work to save your lungs so that you can serve the Lord as long as you can. But you obey your way into a new way of being, a new way of thinking. Not necessarily the other way around. And I love this, that it's a free will offering. And Jesus, didn't he say, no one takes my life, I give it. I give it of my own free will. He's saying that, he's like, look, I am the sacrifice because no one's making me do this. I'm giving my own life. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. So this, someone brings it, it's one of their best Male, young cattle without any flaws, totally do it. They want to give it. They're saying, Lord, I want to give to you now. In verse four, it says, then he shall put his hand 
on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So the idea of the laying on of hands, the idea of laying on of hands always speaks to the idea of transferring, transferring either ownership or responsibility. So what it's saying is that when you bring your free will offering, you lay your hands on it. And notice what it says here in the middle of verse four. It says, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So God is accepting a sacrifice in place of the person. Now, that word atonement, that's a big word. Think about it quite simply, atonement, at one meant. So the idea is to bring back together. We talked about the idea of peace being to take what is broken and join it back together. Same concept, at one minute, to bring back together. So it's saying that when you bring a free will offering and you lay your hands on the head of this animal, that it will be accepted on your behalf to bring you back together with God, to restore a broken fellowship. As we always say here, forgiveness costs somebody something. It always does. It always does. I like to use the example if I ran over your mailbox, right? If I just like, if I, you invited me over because you're making your, your very favorite sausage chili or whatever, whatever your thing is that is the best thing you make and you invite me over and I'm like, yeah, and come on over. And then as I'm leaving, I'm so full and I can't drive straight. And you guys all know that I got a ticket. So you know, I'm not a good driver anyway. And I just plow over your mailbox. Right. And you can imagine this happening, right? You can, right? I'm sure. Like, yeah, Pastor Daniel, I'm sure you could. If I plow over your mailbox, you can either say, well, Pastor Daniel, look, you can't drive to save your life. You better fix my mailbox. So in order for at one minute to happen again, I have to pay to fix your mailbox. Or if you're a good Christian person, you say to yourself, Pastor Daniel, no worries. You told us you couldn't drive. I shouldn't have invited you over anyway. I'll fix it myself. Now that's very gracious of you, but you still got to pay to get it fixed, right? You got to get a new piece of wood. You got to sink some new concrete. You got to get a new box. You know, I ran back over that try and get back in the right spot. You know what I mean? So I mangled the thing. Someone's got to pay to bring us back together again. It's either me or you. So forgiveness always costs. Somebody has to be self-giving in order for it to happen. And so what's interesting is that in order for at one minute atonement to happen again, somebody has to pay. Now what's amazing is that God, as a shadow of the things to come, accepted a substitute, an, an animal, but ultimately... He doesn't want any animals anymore. The one worthy sacrifice was his own son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. But God accepts the substitute in their place. Now, notice what happens in verse 5. Because this is not like some sort of easy act of worship. Because look at what happens in verse 5. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order around or in order on the fire. Verse eight. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, the fat in order 
of the wood that is on fire upon the altar. He shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, you notice this? The worshiper has to kill the calf himself. And not only that, it says then, then they have to skin it, cube it, and then the priests get involved. So you have to realize that this was not some sort of a passive worship experience. Like you had to bring your best calf and literally before the door of the tavern, you needed to, you needed to kill it. And then the priests are there to take the blood and put the blood around the altar. And as they're doing that, then you start skinning it and cubing it and they start put, getting the fire ready. So this is something that is done in tandem. The worshiper is not passive. The worshiper is completely engaged. They're seeing the reality of their prized piece of cattle and what is necessary for atonement right before them. Now, can you imagine that? Try and put yourself, I mean, some of you guys are hunters, like, yeah, I can imagine that. But for the most, imagine bringing a calf to the Lord and you have to kill it. And you're killing this animal. And you realize that one of the reasons this animal is dying is because you've messed up. Think about how vivid, how vivid of an experience that must have been for people. Imagine the first time you saw that. This is what my lifestyle does to this animal. Wow. So this is not some sort of a passive experience. The worshiper is all the way in there. And the priests are helping out. Now, what's interesting about this, if you notice, the sons of Aaron, in verse 7, they put fire on the altar and they lay the wood in order on the fire. Now, in verse 8 and 9, notice the priests, they lay the parts and then they do the parts in order. You have the idea of the head, the fat, which speaks of the excess, of course. Then, of course, you, they wash the entrails, which is the innards, and then the legs, with water. You think about all these different pieces of the sacrifice. And if we are a picture of a sacrifice, the idea is that God wants our head, our thoughts, where we lay our eyes. We present that as a living sacrifice. You think about the fat, and fat always speaks of excess, right? God wants our excesses set apart for him. And listen, we all live in an excessive culture. It's just a matter of where your excess is. Everybody has their own areas of struggle with excess. For some people, it's food. For some people, it's spending money. For some people, it's entertainment. For some people, it's hobbies. For some people, it's working out because you get your whole identity from how fast you can run a mile. I don't think it's bad. It's better than a lot of things. But if it's building an identity, it's still an idol. We have to bring our excesses to the Lord and say, Lord, we live in a culture where we can live how, in a lot of ways, how we desire. I want to give that as a living sacrifice. How do you want me to live my life? Not only that, your legs, where you walk. It's interesting. All of us, God wants all of us, not just parts of us, all of us. Do our thoughts, are they taken into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Do I place my feet in places that are not good. My whole life as a sacrifice. Now it's interesting, in verse 9, you get this idea as a sweet aroma to the Lord. And many of pastors have made the point that God loves a good barbecue. 
And you know what it's like when you show up at a barbecue, right? And you can smell all that food and you're like, mm. even if, you, I, I remember when I was a vegetarian, I would go to barbecue. I'm like, man, it smells good. Yeah, I'll have a black bean burger. But everything else smelled really good, you know? The idea of the, the sweet smelling aroma, this is what you would call it biblically an anthropomorphism. Now, God does not have these like mega nostrils where he's like, every time he's like, the idea is when something smells good, it's pleasurable. So the idea of a sweet smelling aroma, it's really not that God digs a good barbecue, but a worshiper coming and sacrificing and uprising, that's pleasurable to God. Why it's pleasurable to God is not because God is narcissistic, because there's nothing more true than God is all we need. So when we sacrifice to the Lord, we are living in the truest form of reality, and that is the sweet spot the way God created us. So it doesn't really mean that God loves a good barbecue, even though we appreciate a barbecue. It's saying that God finds this to be exceedingly pleasurable. And I think that's what's an important part about worship, isn't it? Worship is not about what we find pleasurable. Worship is about what God knows is pleasurable. Now, we need to think about that for a second because we've all been in church long enough. How many times, like, yeah, I just, you know, that music keeps me from worshiping. You guys ever feel that way? I have. And guess what? That's just straight carnal. That's what that is. I'll never forget. I was on a mission trip. I was in El Salvador. This must have been about 10 years ago. And I remember there was these two guys who were leading worship. Now, they were speaking in Spanish and I don't know any Spanish. I mean, no, I do know a couple words, like Dios de... I know the good Christian words. And I got out of high school Spanish class by just saying, me permite ir al baño. That's me, I please go to the bathroom. I, that was my one line. And they let me go to the bathroom. I never come back. It got to a point I raised my hand and, and Senora Titi would be like, yes, Daniel, go. Just go. I wasn't coming back, right? You pray for me. I was, I'm a sinner. You guys know this already, right? But I'll never forget, I go to El Salvador and there's these two guys, right? And, and like, I'm a musician, so they weren't even tuning the guitar. And these guys were singing, and these guys could not carry a tune. And they're just playing, and, and like, they're playing like American worship tunes, but it doesn't sound like the guitar's not in tune. These two guys can't sing. They can't harmonize. I remember standing there and crossing my arms and being like, what, I can't worship like this. I'm on a mission trip, mind you, right? I can't worship like this. And at the end of one song, this one guy just falls down weeping before the Lord. And the Lord's like, you can't worship. That guy's worshiping. Who's got it right? Worship's got nothing to do with the music, brothers and sisters. It has everything to do with the worthiness of God. Sometimes what sounds beautiful in the natural sounds hideous in the eternal. And what sounds hideous in the natural is the most beautiful music in the ears of our Heavenly Father. Because it has nothing to do with the music. It has nothing to do with the style or the volume. It has everything to do with the pleasure of the Lord. And we have to make sure we get our hearts in that right spot to be able to just enjoy the Lord no matter where we are. If it's new music or old music, loud music or quiet music, fast music or slow music. If it's in a different language, it doesn't matter. I remember I was in Israel and they were worshiping in Hebrew and Russian. And I don't know either of those languages either. And I just wept in an underground church in the north of Israel. I didn't have a clue what they were saying. Every once in a while they'd say Adonai. And I'm like, hey, I know that word. But they were praising God. I was like, I was blown away. 
It doesn't matter how the music sounds. All that matters is that we are praising the true and living God. We have to make sure we, we get that right because that sweet-smelling room, that's a pleasure. God's pleased in our worship. Now, the other side of this is if you feel like you're tone-deaf or self-conscious when you sing, you're only worshiping the audience of one. I'm here to tell you, if you make everybody else around you cringe and God loves it, then praise the Lord. It says make a joyful noise, right? I want to encourage you in your worship, just go for it. It doesn't matter what everyone thinks. It's not like a worship team audition. Just praise God. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter even what you think. All that matters is you're saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, you're awesome. And you saved me. And you're worthy of a few cracked notes. See, it doesn't matter. But again, we get so self-conscious, don't we? How often do we not praise God because we're self-conscious about the people around us? I'll never forget one more story. When I grew up, we'd go to Catholic church every once in a while. My dad would start singing. And we'd make fun of him. We make fun of him a lot. You know, it's because it's your dad, you know, and you could. And he's standing there. I'm like, man, you can't sing, dad. And I remember when I got saved, I felt really bad. Because I'm like, you know, there's my dad. He's like, he's trying to sing along and he can't sing. He's not going to be on the worship team. But it's like, I'm mocking him. But he's worshiping God as best he knew how. So that's the other thing. If you're the kind of person who looks around at everyone worshiping, like, oh, look at that guy. They're really going for it. Yeah, you know. Don't be that person. Don't be that. Someone's enjoying God. If you enjoy God by putting your hands in your pocket and shutting your eyes, praise God. And if you worship the Lord by screaming at the top of your lungs the most horrendously out of key notes and God likes it, then praise God. And everything in between. But the key is, is that when we're worshiping, it's not about what the people around us are doing. It's not about what the people on the stage are doing. It's about who God is and what he's doing in the moment. Such an important part of it. Because I think sometimes we get off because we forget that worship's about God. And guess what? Worship has nothing to do with music. You worship all day long. You worship when you're washing your dishes, when you're mowing your lawn, when you're working, when you're changing the oil in your car, when you're getting gas. You can worship everywhere because God is always there and he's always worthy. And every time we worship, no matter where we are, that's pleasurable to the Lord. Because we're leaning into true reality, what things are really about. And that's the worthiness of God at every juncture. Now, in verse 10 to 13, we get into now, if, if your livestock or your herds, if you don't have enough of that, you can use sheep or goats. Look at verse 10. If his offering is of the flocks of the sheep and of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar, and he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and legs with water, verse 13. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, this second category was probably the most common of all the sacrifices because not everybody has the best of the herd. So it was like, you know, to use like a modern analogy, it's not perfect. This is like a middle-class offering. Most people had a sheep or a goat that they could offer. So this was the most common form. But everything is, is the same about how this is offered. Everything's the same. So if you didn't have like a bull, the best of your herd, you could bring a sheep or a goat, which is much more common. 
and you can offer it as unto the Lord. And again, notice, this offering is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. So God, it wasn't like, oh, God's like, I really dig the bulls. I don't really like the sheep and the goats. God enjoyed people bringing what they could in the way that they could. It's interesting that later we find when Jerusalem is settled, they have a place called the Sheep Gate. Because there were so many sheep in Jerusalem in order to do so much worship, so many sacrifices. So this was the most common of the offerings. And then finally, verses 14 to 17, look what it says. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of the birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, ring off its head, burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out the side of the altar, and you shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place of ashes. Verse 17. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar of the burnt offering that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So if someone couldn't afford sheep and goat, of course, you could do a bird, which was a much more, again, even more common than that. So notice that there's two types of birds that are allowed, the turtle dove and the pigeon. Again, these were the very, very common. So even the person who was the least well off could buy or bring a turtle dove or a pigeon. It was very, very common. Now you notice here that because it's a bird, they don't expect the worshiper to do the work. So the priest rings off its head and does the whole thing for it. So what we see here is that these three types of burnt offerings of the herd, the sheep or the goats, the livestock or the birds, each one of them ends with the same phrase. And it was a sweet aroma to the Lord. The one thing I want you to notice as we close our message portion of the evening is that you notice that none of these animals are kept for either the priests or the worshiper. These were given in their totality. We're going to find other of these offerings where portions are going to be kept for the priests, portions are going to be kept for the worshiper. The burnt offering, the entire offering is burned with fire as unto the Lord. It's completely consumed in worship. No peace is left aside. And that's one of the distinct features of this. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus is offered, and we're going to get to the offerings for newborns, remember Mary and Joseph brought birds, which gives us a little view into the the family of Jesus. They were not a wealthy family by any account. So when they went to offer the purification for Jesus's birth, they brought birds because they didn't have a bull or a sheep or a goat which is very, very fascinating about the way God looks at what people could consider material poverty. That when God chose to become a man, he didn't end up in a palatial family with a huge house and and, 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 and all these resources. God sent them to a family who was marginalized in their own culture, not well off. Very fascinating. So that is the burnt offering Jesus is real. If you're like me, you forget things all the time. Well, here's Pastor Daniel with something that will help you remember. 
Hey everyone, Pastor Daniel here. I don't know about you, but life is busy and it's so easy to forget things. Now, thankfully, I have a couple of wonderful ladies in my life that join me in helping to accomplish all that God has called me to. Of course, I think of my beautiful bride, Lynn. She keeps me on track in so many ways. And then of course, there's my ministry assistant, Margaret, here at Crossroads. She helps me to make sure that my schedule in the ministry is running smoothly. Now, I love how God uses these ladies and so many other people to help remind me of what's important. One of the easiest things to forget isn't daily things like the schedule. It's actually the most important thing. It's the fact that God is real and he is in heaven and he is with me all the time, wherever I go. It may sound silly, but I started wearing a bracelet that says real on it. This bracelet is a constant reminder to me that Jesus is real and that God's grace is real and his mercy and his love has been poured out into my life. And I wanna make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. To receive your very own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. These handcrafted leather bracelets are available to anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio through the month of January with a gift of $20 or more. Again, to receive your very own real bracelet, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Again, that's JesusIsRealRadio.com. Please join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.